Salut, and welcome to the second episode of Being Métis, Coming to Terms. I'm your host, Barney Marin. Last time, we learned about my great-grandmother hiding she was Métis due to social pressures, and she never told her kids until they were well into their 60s. Hiding your métis was common for survival, not anymore. For perspective, I want to give you a brief sense of where we are today before we explore the history in the next episode. To get a sense of what's happening with this cultural awakening, I'll speak with producer and broadcaster Janelle Wookie and ask her what she's seeing through her work with the Métis. Later, I'll go over some big overarching organizations that play significant roles in the life of Métis. And some of this might get touchy, but we'll explore different definitions Canadians have for Métis. Plus, we'll hear from musician extraordinaire Daniel Roy about his journey and why not throw in one of his tunes. All that and just time spirit bliss on episode 2 of Being Métis. For varying reasons, since the very first European settlers arrived, people across these lands have had to hide that they were Métis or part indigenous. For centuries, people hid their Métis lineage for all kinds of reasons, saying you were French to cross the border to go into the States, claiming to be English to get the parcel of land that wasn't available to those who declared themselves as Métis, or to get work with the English who eventually controlled everything. This happened across Rupert's Land and New France until Canada was formed, and I'm sure up until not too long ago. Canada is a pretty open place when it comes to speaking about Indigenous issues. Not perfect, but it's come a long way. And now that these buried family stories are being uncovered, the patterns of oppression are obvious across most of the country for Indigenous people of all backgrounds. So, I'm not alone in my research for identity. Jeanette Wilkie knows that people are searching. On top of her work at CBC and APTN and now running her own production company, a few years ago, she curated 100 videos of Métis people speaking to their personal Métis experience and what it means for them. While they were online, it was a really good treat to listen to the different stories. With over 100 videos, I figure this gives her a good sense of where many Manitobans are at with their Métis identity. You've done lots of work uh, with or with Métis documentaries and Métis reporting. Um, mm-hmm. What what is um, the new, let's say, the young demographic Métis? What are you seeing in in that age range? Okay, um, well, we're kind of like ten years after the whole like Isé culturel cultural awakening that happened. Um, like almost about eight years ago, when I did the Manitis, when I paid press, I put out this article saying that there had been a 68% increase in people identifying as, as Métis in the last 10 years. And that was 10 years ago. So um, right now, now it's like 10 years later, and you know, a big part of my project was trying to figure out what are people doing with all of that now. And for me, what I'm seeing is, I mean, of course there was that Métis community that has always been there, never left, and was always very, very like proud and you know, existed, but there is this, like, huge faction of people who identify as Métis now who are kind of, like, learning, who have learned later in life that they're Métis. Yeah. Um, and and those the, those two communities, like, the people who have always known that they're Métis, like, um, and the people who are just finding out, it, they're kind of, like, in two different sections in a way. So it's, like, what, what I'm trying to do is kind of bring them together. 
so anyway, so these I, I know a lot about these newfound Métis people. That's my kind of like specialty. And what I'm seeing with them is that, you know, there's a lot of people who have a hard time um, owning their um, Indigenous title and um, who are... Uns- and I mean, it's a good thing because they're, you know, they're trying to figure out what am I, like, you know, there's a certain level of, like, responsibility people feel that they have to take in identifying as Métis, which I think is a really good thing. There's a lot of, like, questions people have that still need answering, and people, you know, they want to do their homework before they really um, feel comfortable saying, like, I am Métis. Um, so that's a that's a big one. And a lot of people who are finding out later they have an autom- some have an automatic connection to it, and they're like, oh, yeah, this explains so much. Other people are like, okay, this is this new label, and maybe I don't really connect with it that much, and, you know, that's my truth. So there's a wide variety of ways in which these, like, newfound Métis are sort of processing their identity. And, yeah, so, so like, it's kind of like the down low on, like, the newfound class, I so as, aside, um, there was Louis Riel called for uh, uh, you know a hundred for a hundred years there'll be a resurgence of Métis. Uh, aside from that, what do you think contributed to like a, a newfound Métis? Talk to me more about that. What what a lot of people will say is that in the eighties the Métis became la Constitution. That's the change to the Constitution, Section thirty five. The Métis became one of the official three groups uh, underneath the um, indigenous umbrella, so the First Nations, Inuit, and Métis, and that happened somewhere in the 80s. Um, and also with the um, the pardoning or the uh, Louis Riel, um, you know, like our parents learned that Louis Riel was a traitor. We kind of didn't really learn tons about him in elementary school, but today kids are learning that he was a founder of Manitoba. So like that turnaround you know, made it possible for people to declare their Métis identities with more pride. And then it's kind of like cynical to say, but there was also, and it's a good thing, there was a lot of um, new scholarships that came out, I think, in like the last 15 years for post-secondary education for Métis. Um, so that motivated a lot of people to go out and get their official documents in order that, um, to become eligible for that. Um, and, and some people might say, well, that's a bad thing, that they, people would go and get their cards just so that they could get a scholarship. But um, what ha- what happens with a lot of people is that they go and they get the scholarship. And, I mean, it's not an automatic thing. You have to apply for it, as you know. Um, but they, they end up, it, 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 it sucks them into the community, you know. It involves them. It gets them um, feeling aware of maybe issues. And, you know, whether it's right away or a few years later, they become involved in the community. So I think it's a, it's, it's a positive, it's, even though, even if that's how some people have, you know, returned to their Métis roots, it's, it's a positive thing. So what are you seeing people do now? Like, what are young Métis, like, we, we, we hear the classic foods, we hear of the fiddle, uh, but what are the young Métis doing? Is there, is there stuff that they're kind of making it their own? I guess so. I think, like, people like Ari's are really proud to be descendants of such this awesome history of, you know, founding the province of Manitoba. And, you know, the Métis people were kind of like, they were like pretty badass back 
in the day. So when people, when young people get to know the history, they they, they really they really connect to that. But I, but I mean, no, like Métis, young Métis, young Métis people, they're just pretty much like everyone else. You know, they're just living their lives and they're professionals and they're a lot of artists and there's, um, you know, all, all kinds, all across the board. What, what makes you think then these people, these ordinary people, what makes it important for them then to recognize that they're Métis? Um, I think it's just connecting themselves to the history of the province that they live in. Um, and the, the history, uh, and I mean, it differs from province to province. And, you know, it's, you, as you probably know, it's getting into a whole other can of worms if we're talking about outside Manitoba, Métis, and all that stuff. But um, why is it important? I don't know. That's a hard one. It's, it's a different answer for everyone. For some people, it isn't. For some people, it isn't, you know? Okay. Yeah. No, but I think, I think that I would say that, like, most young people who are Métis are, like, basically indifferent. <laughs> So, you know what I mean? They're they're happy that they're made tea, but they like it. Like, do you think they would fight for it? Um, I don't like. I'm. I should because There's not a huge. I don't see a huge like political movement amongst like young Métis. Yeah. Like, people Métis are age. They're more. It's more like a cultural thing for them okay. than a political thing. Yeah, because cause, uh, there seems to be a lot of, like, when you talk to most people, they're like, yeah, I, I do this or I do that, and they, they mention their hobbies or whatever that involve Métis life, but then when you start talking about specific and stuff, they're like, well, I don't, I don't really know. I have my card, but yeah, like... Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so there's a big variety of ways, like I said, in, in which people are processing their identities, and it varies between generations, um, and that makes a lot of sense because of the different climates that we, we we all grow, grew up in, you know, different what my man grew up in and what I grew up in and you grew up in. So, um, and, and even different for like our, our parents' generation, I would say. So, um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's still kind of a work in progress. In the last 10 years, people self-identifying as Métis have gone up just over 50% across Canada. All kinds of people are coming to terms with where they come from. I know for me, it took some research to conclude why me, a person with mixed ancestry, belongs to the Manitoba Métis Federation, whereas, let's say, another Manitoban with mixed ancestry may not. The historical connections are important. Many of these stories, although similar in nature, can all be quite different. And knowing the differences of where you come from is actually pretty important when it comes to modern day conversations and actual government representation. So where do you start? How does one find the best organization? Like Janelle mentioned, searching for your identity becomes complicated if you live outside of Manitoba. If you've been wondering about which organization you belong to, we here at Being Métis created a hotline that will guide callers to the best representative. Welcome to the Métis Hotline, your guide to the right Métis organization to represent you. Listen closely to the following options. If you can prove your Métis ancestry, your connection to a modern-day Métis community, and self-identify as Métis, press 1 for the Métis National Council and their five provincial representative groups. 
If you're pretty sure you have Métis ancestry and want to belong to the longest-running Métis organization and be represented in French, press 2 for the Union Nationale Métis de Saint-Joseph du Manitoba. If you've been adopted into a Métis group in your adulthood with no proof of any Indigenous ancestry at all, press 3 to reach the Métis Federation of Canada. If you have proof of your Indigenous or Inuit ancestry from anywhere in Canada and believe that to be Métis, press 5 for the Métis Nation of Canada. If you have any proof of any Indigenous or Inuit ancestry from anywhere in Canada and believe that to be Métis, press 5 for the Métis Nation of Canada. Now, if you have any proof of Indigenous or Inuit ancestry but are from Quebec, press 6 for the Métis Nation of Quebec. And press 7 if you're confused on why so many overlapping organizations exist and can't fathom how any one of them will properly function if they're all in line for federal funding and in turn are dividing the people. Or stay on the line for some nice music to think about it all. So if you're keeping track, the federally recognized Métis National Council has five affiliates, including the Manitoba Métis Federation and the Métis Nation of Ontario, Métis Nation of Saskatchewan, Métis Nation of Alberta, and the Métis Nation of BC. Okay, all of those are federally recognized and all adhere to the same three criteria for membership. Connection to Métis homeland, acceptance in modern day community, and self-identifying as Métis. All right. Those affiliates do not include the Métis Nation of Quebec, nor does any of these groups include Métis Nation of Canada, which formed in 2009 and according to the website has three board members, whom I think are two parents and their son. Regardless, these two groups are not recognized by the government and are at varying less scrupulous conditions to become a member. Then you have another separate organization, the Métis Federation of Canada, who ambiguously aims to represent the Métis or anyone with part Indigenous ancestry in the whole country. And we can't forget the Union Nationale Métis de Saint-Joseph du Manitoba, Canada's longest-running Métis organization that represents French Métis. They represent all Métis, but significantly French Métis. We'll talk to their president in a few episodes. For myself, I know it was quite easy for me to trace back my lineage to the Red River Settlement and realize I belong to the Manitoba Métis Federation. I'm lucky, I know that. The story gets more complicated for others. Now, not only does one have to contend with self-identity crisis as you come to terms with a new identity, one must also navigate which system of government will represent them. And unless one dives deep into their family history, it may not be obvious which First Nations, Métis, or Inuit group you belong to. Because it may not be Métis. When looking at the Métis organizations, it's easy to point out the big players. When you see that only the Métis National Council and its five provincial affiliates are growing systems of government and are federally funded, while the other organizations are mostly run on grassroots level and aren't at the same level of services, it's easy to tell. I learned that by joining two local organizations that both aim to represent Métis, but are run quite differently. In upcoming episodes, we'll chat with two local Métis leaders about the differences in their organizational functions and their purpose. And on the next episode, guided by a historian, we will go back in Métis history, hear the origin of the Métis people, and get prepared for the big Louis Riel conversation coming up. To close off the episode, a chat 
with Métis musician Daniel Roy about his search for identity, and we'll even hear one of his songs, Nombre du Monde. Tell me, uh, when did you find out you were Métis? I found out I was Métis, uh, I guess when I was around 30 years old. I'm 41 now, getting old. And uh, like many Franco-Manitobans, I did my genealogy at the Centre du Patrimoine in oh, yeah. St. Boniface. Yeah. Paid my 60 bucks. I mean, my, you know what, I, I, I knew that we had Métis blood. Like my aunt, one of my aunts, Janine uh, Dubé, has always been uh, the one who, the most interested in family history. My mom's family is from La Braquerie. Okay. Close to Steinbach, for I those who don't I know. I won't judge you on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. La Brise. It's the town with the cow, basically. <laughs> There's real cows and a f one fake cow. But um, so, yeah, they're from La Brise and uh, the Dubé, Tétro, uh, that whole clan has Metis roots big time. And uh, so uh, that's, she, you know, she's always kind of hinted at, at that history, but my parents never really pursued it, and my mom didn't. And uh, so with this, this genealogy in hand, I, I got the legitimate sort of answer. Yeah. Got the history, saw the script papers from Nancy Deese, Nancy Gladue, many, many, many moons ago. Uh, so uh, the woman down the lineage of uh, my grandma's side, basically, are uh, what connect me to the, the Métis uh, de la Rivière Rouge. Learning that later in your life, like kind of the same way I did, it's like, mm -hmm. it. It's it it's, it's it's an insertion in your life. It yeah. felt like for me anyway. What was it like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we grew up as kids growing up in Winnipeg and Saint Boniface. Uh, you know, we right from birth. You're at Festival du Voyageur. You put put your Saint sur fléché. Uh, let's go. Yeah. Raton laveur sur la tête. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we. We're involved in this community uh, in, a, in the sort of the greater sense, and we, we understand what it means to share this sort of common history with the community and the importance of the Red River, the importance of our history uh, as settler and Métis and First Nations and, and the Indigenous in, in that context. But when suddenly you're 30 and you suddenly have this sort of legitimatizing, that's not a word, uh, something when you're 30 and you, you, you're presented with sort of a legitimate in to uh, a community that you've always sort of felt you belong to, it, it, there's a deeper meaning suddenly. It's like this flame sort of burns a little brighter. And, okay. Uh, that's my romantic side. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with this flame then? What did you, I don't well, want to say set on fire. Let's say enlightened. What did you, yeah. what, did it, what did it brighten for you? Well, it sort of made me realize like, okay, this is forgotten history. And like, it's, a, it's the same story in a way for so many people where, you know, about three generations of, uh, of our ancestors have kind of turned a blind eye to what they actually were, which is really sad. There are days where I think that's sort of, pathetic and maddening and I get the social context like you know the Caucasian French Catholic that's what that's what that was you know you want to you want to look good you want to at the time I don't need you know there's enough history lessons out there but <laughs> but to yeah. shun that part of who you were was was uh, obviously worth doing sadly yeah for so many people and here we are where 
it's I mean it's, it has nothing to do with you know it's hip today like to me it's like man like we have to there's so much lost ground so much loss and, and that feeling of of uh, having to sort of regain and reconnect with these roots with the missing you know there's like this dark period of <laughs> whatever a hundred years where it wasn't acknowledged and no one spoke of it and uh, you know my aunt would say stuff like we'd sit at the back of the church there was sort of a hierarchy in la braquerie in the church where you know the richer lighter fair-skinned families would sit at the front and you know and i'm not sure to what extent that played a you know how, how that played out but uh obviously that's part of that that reality and so Anyways, back to forward, to now. fast forward to now. Yeah, like what is it like in the For last me, 10 years? Like, uh, how's that shaped your life now? Yeah, that, that sort of, that flame has, has just made me want to find ways to connect with the community now. Obviously, historically, it's super important for me to, to keep digging and to keep making those connections and, and meeting people who share this, this history. But in a kind of day-to-day basis, um, I'm just trying to find ways to, uh, to to connect with those parts of my, my roots or to make yeah. new seedlings, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Cause <laughs> new that's, roots. That, that's one thing that, that I've, I've talked about with a lot of people is that or, or, can you uproot these things or like take these things that existed again? Or are right. you creating, like you said, seedlings or like starting from a new? Yeah. Like... yeah, and I think to a certain extent, there's, you know, there's things that are lost, period. You know, things that were erased or generations skipped and so you know there there was an oral history that's such a part of that tradition that i think we've literally lost whether yeah. it's you know, but it's rediscovered in podcast form yeah that's right <laughs> here we are folks <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i think and i mean we're also it's you know hashtag 2017 but we're <laughs> here and now like trc there's been so many things over the last uh few decades that are like a you know a huge wake-up call for all of us like settlers non-settlers indigenous like to sort of create those links i mean it's uh, as a uh, uh you know a young indigenous active activist uh, said i think it was on talking to peter mansbridge on his way out of the the cbc she said uh, quote unquote this it's not an indigenous issue it's a colonial issue you know we have a colonial problem in this country and that was like, yeah, that's exactly it. This is, you know, we're hundreds of years into injustice and terrible policy, and we have to turn this thing around. Like, yeah. And but, so, and, but then, like, we're both in the same position. How do you turn mm-hmm. around a system that's brought you exactly where you are? Like, everything in this Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, but, right. And part of me feels like, you know, I'm definitely big time part settler. Like, I, you know, I'm. A white guy, yeah. bald, middle-aged, <laughs> sexy white guy walking yeah. down the street uh, with perhaps some high cheekbones and dark features-ish, but uh, but regardless of what I look like, I mean, it's you can't. Identity is also like it's something that you can't just change overnight. Like yeah. you have to you have to make those connections. We're talking about roots, and you have to sort of dig down and and grow some new roots. To, for that identity to shift and for that to become authentic and actually for me to to uh, explain what that means is like so I, I found out I was 
had Métis Heritage 10 years ago, it took me 10 years to accept a gig as a musician, because that's how I make my living as a musician, but it took me 10 years to, to say yes to a gig uh, for, to, and for Abde. I oh, played yeah, I Abde yeah. last year, and, yeah. and uh, people had asked me a few other times, or people had asked me over the years to, hey, why don't you submit your album to the Métis, francophone Métis category? Uh, you know, for the Indigenous Music Awards or whatever it was called back then. And I thought, you know what, like I'm stealing someone's thunder if I do that. I'm not, I don't feel legit yet. Yeah. And it's taken me this far. And when I got the call for Abdi last year, I thought, you know, I think I can say yes and feel like okay, I, well, I can belong on that stage. Yeah. There's and, like a, uh, is there, I guess you're scared of any sort of appropriation. Yeah, for sure. But then I mean, it's, now it needs to be owning it up. Exactly. Probably. It's it's definitely an internal process, and uh, and there's a long way to go. I'm I'm I guess I'm very lucky to be a musician. Uh, I mean, over the years I've played with tons of different people from all all walks of life, and uh, but lots of indigenous artists as well. Got to record with Leonard Sumner and. Uh, Blah blah blah. Uh, you know, did uh, some stuff with. Uh, even got to play with seaweed and some uh, some of the greats <laughs> over the years, and uh, and lots of Métis stuff. And now uh, I'm, that's kind of fortunately kind of an in for me to uh, to keep deepening those roots. And musically, I'm I'm become a total mandolin nerd, which is oh yeah, you know, it's it's not quite the Métis fiddle, but. Yeah. That's a, as a drummer, that's where I've started as a, as a drummer, but for the mando is kind of like the drums of bluegrass and the drums yeah. of so many, it's just the rhythmic language of it. But so it's, it's opened up all these doors creatively. Uh, you know, I'm learning tons of Métis fiddle tunes on it. Okay. And uh, that's kind of musically where, I've, you know, my passions are in so you're many ways. transposing the fiddle onto something that works for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's... Uh, because I've always found that weird, like, I, like you know, in, in trying to find um, Métis music just to listen to, like, well, would this inspire me or whatever? It's like, there's fiddle music, yes, and then there's, you yeah. want to try to find lyrics or there's... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's different, I mean, yeah, I've got all these different hats that I wear. I've been a drummer all my life and made. I still make a living. At least 50% of my income is from hitting drums <laughs> and playing whatever, disco to rock to jazz. And uh, I don't discriminate. And, and uh, like disco is the first one on your list. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it pays the more money. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's as a songwriter though, I've never. I mean, it, it's also this is kind of relative to being a Franco Manitobain, um, because by virtue of singing en français and and just producing a record period that's francophone, you become by default uh, uh, an ambassador for your community, for your culture, which right. is totally cool. But I'm never, I've never felt comfortable, like the flag waving, you know, drapeau franco like, yeah, that's not my identity. I don't think it should be anybody, any artist's identity. Like we just happen to live where we live. We happen to be nourished by our community. Like I love my community. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, but an artist's role is to be a mirror to that, right? To, oh, right. Yeah. Like to, to uh, reflect all our shortcomings <laughs> and all the bullshit that's going on, and <laughs> yeah. and at the same yeah. time as yeah. celebrating it. So, I've always, 
so it's kind of a double-edged sword. And so, it, and when it comes to Métis culture too, like that's why um, you know I don't have any songs that directly speak of that uh, side of my culture, or you know, I, I also don't write in sort of a premier degré, like first degree kind of way, where I'll just say, "Hey, I just found my very you know." I got this in my blood, and yeah, it's just, and it's, uh, I don't know, I think, uh, I just find that unsexy anyway, so, but yeah, so a lot of my songs, as a songwriter, they're, they're sort of, they're definitely politically charged and socially charged, but they're also kind of universal, like, there's this, uh, you know, there's, en français, on dit communautarisme, but there's a it, there are dangers to uh, to sort of have a, a community blinders on as well. I find in this day and age, because yeah. we're I mean yeah, this people who listen to this recording might be uh, you know in Singapore or yeah. Australia or Saint Laurent, but uh, the, the point is like we do share everything in the most basic ways, you know, so. Uh, so yeah, there's the drummer side of me, there's the songwriter side of me, which is always trying to just not corner myself or wave any flags in a way. Like, and then there's this suddenly there's this guy who's like, okay, I'm very I'm proud to be Franco Manitobain Metis, uh, and now I can say that after all these years, I'm starting yeah. to really <laughs> live it, and it's and I'm I'm pursuing that, you know, and I'm I've been learning Ojibwe too the last couple of years I started just on my own I have nice. these funky little audio uh, book kind of things on my phone so cool. I'm folding laundry doing dishes and showing uh, a mission you know like I'll just say different things and my kids will be like papa le fromage so that's a work in progress that'll take me my whole life and fortunately I have some good friends who uh, who can uh, help me out with my Ojibwe, but... Um, so is any, do you think any of this is, is going to influence your future songwriting? I don't want to presume that you're going to yeah. put pressure on you to keep writing, but I feel like you're not the type to be hanging it up anytime soon. Yeah, you know what, and I sort of partially, I jokingly say I'm semi-retired just because my kids are so damn busy. Uh, I'm a taxi dad, above all <laughs> things these days. But yeah, my kids are 14 and 12, and every night of the week I'm driving somewhere which is fantastic. They're great. And that's, I mean, that's my first role in life is being a good dad or trying to be. And um, so the, song, the singer-songwriter put out a couple of albums, to 2009, 2012, basically, and put it aside for now. It's, it just makes more sense to stay closer to home and, and be the side man musician as opposed to the front man going out. And it's a lot of, uh, it's just a lot of work and yeah. unpaid time as well when you're on the road and stuff like that so but yeah you're right i'm not there's no hanging up of anything uh <laughs> well I, we look I, we look forward for when it does come out but you yeah. do have some politically charged songs so uh, let's hear one of them now thanks very sure. much for joining me dan thank you <laughs> Je 
comprends que ces chiens les taxis Jour après jour, mais il y a des pires façons de faire des allers-retours Puisque tu as les moyens de les payer quotidiennement Tu pourrais mieux t'éduquer sur la question des immigrants Au lieu d'engueuler le chauffeur chapeauté d'un turban Demande-toi qui d'entre vous parle avec un accent N'est-ce pas tout simplement question de circonstances Toi qui te prends pour l'héritière de la Nouvelle-France par contre, c'est difficile à avaler Puisque comme nous, tes grands-grands-parents On fait la traversée Tu connais les autochtones avant les divorces tectoniques À qui elle appartient cette maudite Amérique? Le nombre du Palpitante, créée à l'image d'un corps invisible, sauf à la fois on s'entend, le primat sociable très à droite. Descendu du cèdre ou plutôt du bananier pour aboutir aux eaux dans la cage la plus fréquente. Peut-être que ce sont eux qui sont libres, les chimpanzés et nous les prisonniers de nos consciences trop aiguisées. La preuve, nos singeries de tous les jours qui font la une, et tout ce qu'on sait faire de l'arme, c'est le passé à l'égouine. Restons agenouillés dans l'espoir de nos prières, que notre évolution apportera la paix sur terre. If you want more content, go to beingmetis.ca. There you can find old episodes and a link to our Patreon where you can donate as much or as little as you'd like to help this podcast keep going. See you next time.